Hello, and welcome to the Arizona Civics Podcast. In this podcast, we will share our journey of sustaining Arizona's interest in reforms to civics by collaborating with civic educators in our state and nationwide. This important work is being spearheaded by the Center for American Civics at Arizona State University. I'm Liz Evans, Civic Education Program Director at ASU, and your host for this podcast. I will interview teachers, content experts, and civic education leaders throughout our episodes, providing valuable insights and perspectives. We hope you enjoy joining us on this journey to make Arizona a national civics model. Welcome back, listeners, to the Rebuilding Arizona Civics podcast. I am really excited today to have one of our EAD task force educators, Christy Berta, here um, to really talk about civic accessibility in the elementary grades. Um, She has done a piece of writing, too. So if you have not read the writing, I very much encourage you to look at the show notes. It'll be linked there. But Christy, I'm going to have you go ahead and introduce yourself. Sure. So I'm Christy Berta, and I've been in education now for 25 years. And um, I work in general education as well as gifted education. Um, And I spent a lot of time in dual language immersion, bilingual classrooms as well. And um, it's just exciting to see some of those connections between all of our different types of kiddos needs and what we're able to accomplish in um, civics and social studies. And I'm excited to have you on today because elementary school is hard, right? You have one teacher who's teaching all of these things. These elementary teachers are responsible for so much. And the unfortunate reality is a lot of times social studies and civics kind of get pushed to the side because of the expectations placed on state testing, you know, all of this other stuff. So the units that Christy was a part of, um, third grade. And I love that you, you know, the standard shifted, right? So we have to include more of these Arizona studies and teachers. There's just not resources out there. So can you kind of give me a little bit of a background on what brought you to create the lesson from ancestors to Arizonans? I love that title too. Um, and really what that looks like, the development of it. Yeah, so working with um, elementary students, as you mentioned, there's just a limited amount of resources that are specific to civics, but are also specific to Arizona. And one of the things that our state did when those standards shifted, um, Arizona used to be taught and is often taught across the country in fourth grade, which our students have kind of crossed that threshold of being readers by fourth grade often and aren't still learning to read. Um, they're, they're reading to learn. Well, when you push it into third grade, suddenly we still have a lot of students at that age learning to read. And so our, our challenge was while we're supporting our students in developing their literacy in appropriate ways, how do we also get them into the civics, um, the social studies, the history that's Arizona specific? Um, And so we just really focused in on this idea of our Native American communities, which is a big piece of us as Arizonans, and we wanted to showcase that and highlight it. And so that's where our problem started and where we just dug in and did some work to try to find some solutions. And when we talk about kids, and you brought up a really good point too, like in third grade, there is a wide variety of ability levels, whether it's, you know, reading, writing. 
what does that look like then? Because you, you talked about how you, you come from this gifted background. How does it look, you know, especially looking at this lesson and the EAD framework, right? Bringing in inquiry, how does that help teachers who have this wide variety sitting in their classroom? Yeah, no, that was that was actually one of the things we were grappling with. Um, and, and really what we found um, success in was digging into primary sources. And I know often we think of primary sources as maybe some boring historical documents that are written in weird English and handwriting that no one can read anymore. But it turns out our, our resources that are primary are also photographs and pieces of art and maps. And so when we started to look at that perspective, it opened that the window of learning up for our students. So whether you're a reader or not, at the level that we want you to be, you can still access the content when you're looking at a photograph and start to work like a researcher or like a historian by looking at the context of the situation that you're looking at um, and the people involved and the setting and all of the things that are there so that you can begin to investigate and, and extrapolate um, new ideas from what you're looking at. And, I love and Go oh, go ahead. I was say with our gifted learners, especially, I mean, people often think, oh my gosh, gifted kids are the easiest to teach. They'll, they'll just learn everything right away. And one of the things we always say in gifted education is if you know one gifted child, you know one gifted child. They're so vastly different. Um, and you don't always have that student who's just anxious to learn whatever you're presenting or who has the skills um, such as reading to be able to do that. Often they're asynchronous where their ideas and their brain and what it's capable of doing are in different places in their body, especially at third grade, um, especially with writing. And so um, taking those considerations into, into mind allowed us to get into some of those um, needs that they have for learning while accessing the content. And it works well for our students developing language in general as well. I think that people don't realize that political cartoons and photos are primary sources because you're right. We often think of primary sources, this 18th century English that students don't speak today. And so I think that's what keeps teachers from trying it because that's what they think it is, not realizing there's so many more access points to primary sources and to civic education, especially in those early grades. Absolutely. Now, there's there's a, an expression we use in mathematics a lot where we look for tasks that are low floor and high ceiling, meaning that they're very accessible to anyone. You can get into the, the work and the thinking, but that there isn't a limit. That ceiling goes really high. Um, and, and we took that idea here and, and looked for those kinds of access points for civics. Where do we find those low floor that anyone can access, but that doesn't have that cap to it. So that our gifted learners or our, our fast thinkers or our students who just get really excited about history, they're able to go as far as they can to take, take the idea without a cap or a limit preset. I love that. Can you walk me through, because you've talked about how you guys were basically finding problems of practice, right? Like these points where it was a pain point for teachers, for you, what does that planning look like? So if there is a teacher who's like, I want to get into this, 
I want to understand, you know, the inquiry framework, all of this stuff. How did you, can you walk me through that process? Because you did it with a group, which personally I think is the best way to do things because teaching can be a very lonely profession if we allow it to be, right? We can shut our doors. We have our students, but the ability to work with other professionals is so important. So can you walk me through kind of the process? Yes, no, I completely agree. Everything's better with friends, right? And so you find your friends and, and, and to your point about that isolation, as teachers, I found that we tend to, when it gets hard, that's when we'll even more close our doors and separate ourselves from each other. And the thing that gets us unstuck is finding other people to engage with instead of withdrawing. And, and so finding a team who had a similar problem um, really got us started on this. And then we dove into the Educating for American Democracy framework. And that's what helped us guide our thinking around this because we wanted to know, okay, what sorts of things would we want our students to be able to accomplish? And we looked at those design challenges or we looked at the themes and we actually started with a the theme of you know, how how does our landscape change and impact what's happening with people? So we took that that theme to get us started. And we took our Arizona standards. Honestly, we said, okay, what do students need to learn at third grade? Because we knew this was where our challenge was. Just finding third grade Arizona content was so hard. Um, until we started looking, then surprisingly, it was all over the place. <laughs> we didn't know it at first. And, and so looking at those standards and knowing that we wanted to have a perspective on our Native American communities, both of history, but of present day, because that's another misconception. People often, when we study our Native American communities, we act as if they only happened in the past and they're not still vibrant and alive and doing many wonderful things today. And so we wanted to bring that full picture to our students um, where, where they didn't just get trapped in this idea that a group of people was just from one time period. So we appreciated that changing theme um, to go along with it. So we, we dug into that and then we just started to talk about um, what kinds of resources would be out there, right? What might we find? And so then we started looking and finding these resources um, through actually some of our universities had done some work to put some materials together that we were able to tap into in addition to the photographs. And then you, know, you just start going down a trail of finding all of these great resources once you realize primary source photographs are going to help you get to where you want to go. Um, and so that was kind of the, the first initial steps into it. I love that access point, right? Like you're looking at the standards and you're picking one theme, not the whole thing. And you're saying, okay, here's what I need. So now I know what to look for. And that is, especially when you look at Arizona history, right? Like Arizona, I think the misconception is, well, Arizona is Phoenix, right? It's a desert, like blah, blah, blah. Arizona is rich in history. It's rich in different landscapes. It's rich in, you know, we have 22 tribal nations, which I cannot overstate how amazing I think that is that the access point here is third grade, right? It's not just this, these are people that existed, we're moving on, but it's no, this is part of Arizona. It's not just these small things that kids sometimes only think of their community, especially at that age, right? Like their scope of it is a lot smaller. So I love that this is 
picked an access point and then you were able to go down this rabbit hole. Yes. And we were really excited too about connecting um, what we found to the place where our, our students are from. And so in, in some of the sections of the lessons, you'll see there's a whole bit on like the Sonoran Desert and the foods that you can find in the Sonoran Desert, because who doesn't love food, right? <laughs> Students love food. Every culture loves food. We want to talk about where we get this stuff, but we typically don't think of the desert as having an abundance of resources. But our, our early ancestors, they had abundant resources that they found in the desert. So pulling those things out and the students being able to recognize, gosh, when I look at the map and I look at where the Sonoran Desert is, turns out many of our students live in the Sonoran Desert. And that was really exciting for students when you, when you pull this lesson into the classroom to realize they live right where we're talking about, that it's not some distant land that they're not familiar with and they don't see every day. So, so that was another access point. It's relevance, right? I think sometimes people think of history of like, like you said, things that happened in the past or like East Coast because, you know, Boston Massacre, like all this East Coast stuff, not realizing the things that we have here are very rich. And if you can connect students with that, that's when they get really excited. That's when they, that inquiry starts, right? They want to know more. They want to say, Hey, my family eats that all the time. Like they want to start having those conversations and it builds civic engagement and it builds empathy. Absolutely. Well, and it's funny to watch because students, um, especially our gifted learners, love to get intrigues, is what I call them. Like they get really curious about seemingly random things where you're like, really, that's that's the thing that's driving you today. <laughs> but and, and this um, lesson, it allowed for those entry points because students got very excited about, um, I, I keep talking about the food lesson, but when we were digging into the, the, the foods, they were just like imagining all the places you could find food in the Arizona desert. And that started to get them so excited thinking about, you know, the possibilities for where you could find food even on other planets. Like they started making these connections to, gosh, if you're in a really diverse uh, ecosystem, what about other diverse ecosystems? What kinds of things can you find there? So you see these tangents that they got really excited about and wanted to study and dream about um, in related moments of the day. So it was it was really cool to watch. Well, and now you're tying in science, right? You're tying in all of these other subjects because civics is not a standalone subject. Right. And I will say that on every podcast, every chance I get that civics belongs everywhere. So when you talk about this, it just not the students, right, naturally took it to a science place. And when you're Absolutely. talking about ecosystems, it 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 just like it's exciting. Mm-hmm. Kids get so excited about that. If you had advice for a teacher who I mean, elementary, middle school, high school, that's like, this sounds really, really great. Um, but where do I start? Like this sounds like more work. I already do a lot because we, I mean, we know, right? Teachers work a lot. What would be some, what would be a piece of advice that you would give to a teacher like that? Absolutely. So the first advice always is find friends, right? Share the work. Um, Because if we can just do different work and replace some of those less helpful, because I can tell you, once we had a direction, finding materials came very quickly um, versus sometimes, you know, maybe you're scrolling teachers pay teachers and you're looking for ideas 
is taking forever because you don't have a real focus. Um, and the EAD framework, I think, helped give us that focus for what our learning was going to look like in those standards. But beyond that, digging into what's already created. I mean, that's what we found a lot of success with as well, is just finding these resources that have been put together um, and then writing our lesson for the kids in front of us and saying, okay, here's this great resource, but now I have these students that I'm trying to reach. How am I going to help them access it? And at that point, the rest of it just kind of takes over. When you have those kids in mind, it's not that much work to just get those resources in front of them and get them thinking. I, I guess the key too is that inquiry piece. Once kids start thinking, it's almost impossible to turn off that fire, right? They are on fire for learning and, and you can't shut it down. They start making those connections to extreme environments on planets that we've yet to discover um, or other places. So it's just, it, that's where I would start. I was just thinking about that. Find your friends, think about what you're trying to do and let the thinking take over because it's much less work to plan and tap into those resources already out there. I love that it's fine friends. And if it's not on your campus, maybe it's in your district. Maybe it is an online community. There's so many like Twitter chats or really positive Facebook communities that you can run these ideas by. I think that's really powerful. And it's been said before, the kids in front of you, right? Like those are the kids that you're trying to reach, not the ones you had last year, not the one that your neighboring teacher had. And this is why we work with teachers is because teachers are the experts in their classroom. So I can give you a lesson. You are the one that makes it work as implementing in your class, those kids in front of you, you know, the kids that are going to be like, I wonder what things would look like on Mars. And it's, you understand that line of thinking because they made a connection to an outside person and might not look, it might look random, but to you, you know, that kid just made a connection. And so that is, I'm so happy that you said that the kids that are sitting in front of you, you as the educator are the expert at those kids. Absolutely. No, that's, I mean, and, and every year, like you said, they change, right? The kids who show up are a little bit different. You can have one idea that worked great with your class the year before, and the next year, it's going to need some shifts for it to work just as greatly as it did the previous year, given the kids in front of you. Because the different personalities, they just make the classroom have a different flavor every year. And, and tapping into those interests and personalities makes such a difference. Yes. Well, Christy, before we kind of close this out, is there anything else you want to make sure educators or any of the listeners of this podcast hear um, specifically from you? Because I feel like we could talk all day about this, right? Like it's listeners do not see the passion that's on the screen right now, but we're clearly both very excited about this. But is there anything else you want to make sure um, that people hear? Yeah, just don't be afraid to get your kids into deep thinking. I mean, civics, again, even the word civics sometimes might sound a little posh, a little beyond what you think your students could do. But really, it's just about being a good human and a good citizen and engaging in your world to make it better, to understand it, and to contribute. And so giving your students those opportunities to get into that and, and just giving them that room to think and reason and act as, as a historian or act as a researcher, it's going to make such a difference when we bring in that inquiry model. So just don't be afraid to do it. Your kids are so capable and so are we as teachers. 
we're so capable of asking kids these good questions to get them to that thinking. Perfect. Well, thank you for your time today and for everything you're doing for elementary education, especially bringing this, these things to light. My pleasure. Thank you for having me today, actually. It's really fun to get to talk and share this message. Thank you for joining us. Just wanted to give a heads up that you can find the Center for American Civics on all social media channels as ASU Civics. We love connecting with our community and sharing our thoughts on the issues that matter to us. So if you're interested in our content or just want to say hi, don't hesitate to give us a follow. Plus, we always include any relevant links in our podcast show notes. So be sure to check those out too. Thanks for being a part of our journey.